But hello there, hello there. We pray that you all are having a a wonderful uh, Thursday. We thank God for all of those that are joining us as far as Bible study is concerned. And of course, uh, we are lifting up, uh, even as far as the church is concerned, uh, brothers and sisters in uh, the Deep South, particularly uh, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, uh, Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi, who have been inundated as far as this winter storm season is concerned and praying that they will get restoration of heat, electricity, as well as water. And of course, we continue to lift up others who are dealing with the pandemic uh, we know that in spite of all that is going on, God is to be praised. So thank you all for joining us as far as this time of study is concerned. And I'm looking so forward to doing this wonderful deep dive as far as the word of God is concerned. So before we get started, uh, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and let's sense and seek what it is that God wants to do as far as our time together is concerned. God, we come and we thank you right now for this wonderful opportunity to come and study your word. We pray right now, God, in the name of your son, Jesus, that you will be uh, the ultimate teacher. You are the master rabbi. Show up, teach us your precepts. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Show yourself mighty and strong, oh God, even in this virtual space, and we shall bless your name for that. It is in the name of your son, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, guess what? Today we want to uh, start our study on First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And this is a, a wonderful deep dive uh, as far as this particular chapter is concerned. And I'm looking so forward, so forward to uh, what God wants to do as far as our time together is concerned. So if you would, either open up your physical Bible or your digital Bible, and uh, let's go to the Word and let's do some um, exegetical work as far as uh, looking at some phrases, some words, uh, some things to highlight. And then we'll get started as far as what I would consider to be exposition. In Second Peter, uh, I mean, in First Peter, rather, chapter two, First Peter, chapter two, starting at verse one, I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the word of God. And we find these words listed. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer uh, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion, a chief's cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. 
Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they are also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So let's uh, go back to verse one and let's look at some words and some phrases I would like for you to highlight as far as this time of study is concerned. Um, therefore laying aside all malice, circle the word malice, all deceit, circle the word deceit, circle the word hypocrisy, circle the word envy, circle the words all uh, evil speaking. Verse two, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. If you would highlight the phrase, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Verse four, coming to him as to a living stone, highlight the phrase, a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, circle the word rejected but chosen by God and precious. Circle the word chosen. Draw a line from the word rejected to the word chosen and precious. If you would circle the word precious. Verse five, you also as living stones, highlight the phrase living stones and then draw a line from living stones in verse five to a living stone in verse four, those phrase. Are being built up a spiritual household. Underline that phrase are being built up a spiritual household. A holy priesthood, underline the phrase holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, highlight the phrase spiritual sacrifices. Therefore, it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, circle the word precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. If you would, I like the phrase, underline the phrase rather, will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, circle the word precious. Then I want you to draw a line from the word precious in verse four to precious in verse six, and then draw a line from the word precious in verse six to precious in verse seven. Let's look at verse eight and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they are also appointed. If you would highlight the phrase, 
They stumble, being disappointed to the word to which they are also appointed. Verse nine, but you are a chosen generation. Circle the phrase chosen generation. A royal priesthood, circle the phrase royal priesthood. A holy nation, circle the word holy nation. His own special people, circle the phrase special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. If you would highlight that phrase, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Then in verse 10, if you would underline that whole verse. All right. Now, as we prepare to do the deep dive, uh, it is my hope and prayer that you really are getting ready to capture and catch what it is that Peter um, uh, is dropping on us as far as this passage is concerned. And so as we prepare to do this deep dive, Let's go back to verse one and let's prepare to do some good work. All right. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. In, in this particular verse, Verse one is very, very important. Very, very important. Peter is really calling for repentance. Repentance, you know, that means to change your mind as well as your behavior. That's what real repentance means. It means when you repent, you are changing your mind and your behavior. Thoughts produce action. So you got to have a change mindset in order to have a change behavior. Notice what Peter says. Peter says, um, I want you to lay aside or I want you to repent of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Now, I want to be intentional in breaking this down because if we're honest, Many of us, your pastor included, or should I say your pastor especially, <laughs> deal with some form of, of this in some shape, form, or fashion. All right? So let's look at malice. Malice is wicked ill will. Okay? Malice basically means doing evil despite the good that has been received. When you are malicious, you desire to harm other people. Malice can be hidden behind good actions. In other words, you could do the right thing for the wrong reason and be malicious. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dropping it like that today. You, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason, and that's being malicious. All right? Let me say that one more time for the Holy Ghost. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason, 
and that's being malicious. All right. So uh, we got to be we got to repent of malice. The next one is deceit. Deceit. That is deliberate dishonesty. Deliberate dishonesty. That means you are tricking or misleading by lying. All right. So Peter is saying you got to stop lying. You got to stop deliberately misleading people. Okay. The next one is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is pretend piety and love. Pretend piety and love. Uh, uh, it, it means that you say one thing, but you do another. It is play acting. It is presenting good motives that mask your selfish ambitions. Hypocrisy. Okay. Hypocrisy can be connected to being malicious. All right. You wear the mask. Okay. Um, and you wear the mask of, of self-aggrandizement. Okay. The next one is envy. Envy. Another word for envy that we like to say today is jealousy or in the vernacular that may be played out by now, hating on folk. But really, envy is resentful discontent. It means that you desire something that somebody else has. And when you desire something that somebody else has, if you're not careful, it will cause discontent and resentment because you make an unhealthy comparison to somebody else. It makes you unthankful for the good that you do have. And it makes you unthankful for the good that comes to others. Now, if you don't get nothing else today out of this, this time of study, I want you to get this. The enemy to joy and peace is comparison. The enemy to your joy and to your peace is comparison. When you compare yourself to somebody else or something else, or when you want something that somebody else has, and here's what I want to drop on you. You have no earthly idea what they went through to get it and what they're going through to keep it. Okay? So, so there are times when you're envious of someone and you don't even realize all the craziness that they're going through to maintain what they got. All right. The last one is evil speaking or better known as slander. Evil speaking, better known as slander. Slander is just nothing but you doing backbiting lies. It, you, you're, you're destroying somebody's reputation by lies, by gossip, by rumor spreading, 
And 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 malice often manifests itself in slander. God knows I have been the victim <laughs> of all of these, especially slander. All right. And oftentimes it's been told to me by some of my mentors that that if you aren't doing anything positive, nobody's going to have anything to say about you. But whenever you're doing the work of the Lord, there are times when you got to prepare yourself for slander. You don't like it, but it happens. Now, let me drop this on you for free because I have discovered whoever gossips to you will gossip about you. Let me say that one more time. Whoever gossips to you, eventually they're going to gossip about you. Okay. All right. So, so, so you got to be careful about folks that bring gossip to you, that, that bring lies, that bring rumor spreading. So, so, so let me, if I could recapitulate that. Whoever lies to you will lie about you. Whoever rumor spreads to you will rumor spread about you. So basically, Peter is saying, those of us who have been born again need to make a break with these things. Okay? All right? In other words, Peter is letting us know we should not let our conversation slip into slander. All right. Real friends don't broadcast each other's weaknesses. Real Christians strive to build each other up in love. So when it comes to gossip, kill it. Let me say that again. When it comes to gossip, kill it. You have the power to kill gossip. Let me press on. Let's look at verse two and three. As newborn babes desire the pure milk, of the word, the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, let, let's, let's unpack this for a moment because Paul uses this, not Paul, Peter uses this term for the word as being equated to milk, and he calls us newborn babes. Now, what I want to do is I want to give clarity as far as this phrase, newborn babes or newborn babies are concerned. Peter wanted us to be eager for the word of God, just like babies 
are eager for milk. So after you have put aside malice, envy, hypocrisy, slander, um, uh, uh, deceit, then you got to replace it with the desire for the word of God. Now, as you cast out your impure desire and motive, you got to replace it with spiritual food that produces growth. You got to replace it with spiritual food that produces growth. So when Peter uses this term, newborn babies, he is not talking about um, you being a young believer. Instead, uh, he may be looking at the, the aspect of you growing as far as your walk with God is concerned by desiring the word of God. Peter is saying that believers should crave more and more of the word of God, like the baby desires milk. And while believers receive salvation when we accept Jesus Christ as savior, this is gonna bless you real good. Salvation is an ongoing experience from the time of your regeneration until your death. And at the time of your death, will your salvation be completed? This whole process is called sanctification. So as we live on this earth, we are expected to partake in the word of God so we can grow up in our salvation. In other words, we should not remain as spiritual babes, but we should become mature in Christ. All right. So here's, here's what I want you to understand is that when we look at spiritual maturity, it is not based upon chronology. It is based upon how much of this word you get within you that you apply as far as your life is concerned. I hope I'm helping somebody. All right. Now, then he says in verse three, if indeed you have tasted the word of God, this, this is where he picks up. I want to believe um, that Psalm, uh, Psalm 34, verse eight, where it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. How do we trust in the Lord? We trust in the Lord based upon what we know about God. And what we know about God is based upon the word of God and our experience in God. As a believer, you've already taken the first step in accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know how good the Lord has been because God has granted you forgiveness of your sins. He has granted you grace and mercy. You know how good the Lord has been. And as you live out your discipleship, you are growing to maturity in faith 
And the more you grow in your maturity and the more you grow in your faith, you really see how good the Lord is. And I know this isn't good English, but it's good theology. The Lord, the more you grow in your faith, the more you mature, the good of the Lord gets. <laughs> like I said, it ain't good English, but it's great theology. The gooder the Lord gets. And that shall only serve to whet your appetite. That the more you taste of the Lord, the more you will want of the Lord. The, 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 the more we taste of God's goodness, it's going to bless you. The more tasteless the culture becomes. The more you taste of God's goodness, the more tasteless the world becomes. Don't ever allow for your life to, 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 to be satisfied by cheap substitutes that you lose the desire for the truth in the word of God. I hope I'm helping somebody. I hope I'm helping somebody. Uh, let, let, let's, let's, look at, let's look at verse four. As we as we move on, as far as this time is concerned. In verse four. We see that Peter tells us coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Now, what 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 is he what is he talking about here? Coming to him as a living stone now. This is why it's very important for you to understand context. When he says coming to him as a living stone, Peter is not talking about your initial response of coming to Christ for salvation. This, this is not your initial response of being born again. I'm, I'm, get, I'm, getting, ready, I'm getting ready to, to hopefully break some, some stuff that many of us have been dealing with. This verse is not initial salvation. This verse is not you praying the prayer of salvation. Coming to him as a living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. Right. In, in, in the Greek, this tense coming to him as a living stone indicates that it is a personal habitual approach. It, it is the idea of, of an intimate association of communion, communication, and fellowship between God and the believer. All right? This basically means that you are constantly drawing near and coming into Christ's presence with regularity. This is what it means to, 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 to do your daily devotional. This is what it means to pray daily, to read your scripture daily, to spend time with God daily. See, the unfortunate reality is that many of us do this thing maybe once a week or twice a week. And I think I've shared before, and I want to share it again, that uh, it has been stated that if you read your Bible 
once a week, not much change will happen. If you read your Bible twice a week, not much change will happen. If you read your Bible three times a week, not much. But if you start reading your Bible four times or more times, four or more times a week, that there is something spiritual and redemptive and transformative that takes place because of a intimate association and constant communication and communion and fellowship between the believer and Lord. And that happens through devotion and devotion is scripture reading and prayer. It is us entering the presence of God at any time with any need. See, back in the Old Testament, only the priests could come into the in, into the very presence of God for the people of God. But now, because you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you can come into the presence of God at any time with any concern that you have. But you got to understand that Jesus Christ is the living stone. The stone is alive. And that stone gives life to others. And because Jesus Christ is the living stone, even though he was rejected by the people, he was chosen by God. He was sent by God. He was lifted by God. Although he was rejected, he is now the chief cornerstone. Now, this is what I want you to understand, that the first step really in becoming holy is fellowship with Jesus Christ, who's the living stone. And whereas Jesus was rejected by other humans, particularly his own people, God chose him and held him precious. Now, the only reason that Jesus was able to be the chief cornerstone is because he was rejected. And what we got to understand is that there are times when rejection is God's way of positioning us for elevation. You just got to be rejected by the right folks. <laughs> <laughs> Let's press on. So in verse five, we see you also as living stones. Jesus Christ is a living stone. You and I are living stones. You and I are children of God. Um, let, let, let me let me put it to you like this. This is how we are in relation to Christ. Jesus Christ is the living stone. You and I as believer are living stones. Uh, Jesus Christ is the king. You and I are kings and queens. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God. You and I are lambs. Jesus Christ is the high priest. You and I are priests. Okay. 
And so what we got to understand is that we are identified with Christ. And, and, and we become more like Christ because we're being conformed to the image of Christ and we are becoming a spiritual house. We're becoming a holy priesthood. Look at that word, holy priesthood. That word holy means to be set apart, consecrated. Uh, 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 it is not common purpose. We got to stop being so common when it comes to our walk with God and in the culture. Folks ought to know there's something distinct, that there's something different about us. We can't draw people to us if we're not different than they are. Now, let me drop this on you. All believers are priests. You don't need anybody to mediate between you and God. All of us are priests. We can go to God for, for, for ourselves. However, it also means that if you and I are priests, you and I are called to holy living. And we're called to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And what we got to understand about a sacrifice that's going to be holy and acceptable to God is that the sacrifice, it, oh God, thank you for this revelation. I think about Cain and Abel. I think about Cain and Abel. And if you read in, in Genesis, uh, um, uh, I believe Genesis chapter four, uh, Cain and Abel were brothers. They were uh, children of Adam and Eve. And of course, we know, um, well, I don't want to take for granted that everybody knows that story, but they brought an offering before God. Cain brought fruits and vegetables. Abel bought a lamb and killed the lamb. The Bible says that God accepted Abel's offering. Because God accepted Abel's offering, Cain got jealous and he killed Abel. But let me just, if I could, and this ain't part of the lesson, but I hope it blesses you when we're talking about sacrifice. That's something about Abel's offering need to be taken under consideration. First of all, Abel's offering was the best of the lamb. So he brought God his very best. Secondly, a life was taken. So when we talk about sacrifices, it requires some something of your being. In other words, you don't give God something that you don't want to keep. <laughs> I hope I'm helping somebody. Let me say that again. You don't give God something that you don't want to keep. 
I, I, I hope I'm helping somebody. You, when it comes to a sacrifice, the reason it's a sacrifice is because you want to keep it. Don't give God something you don't want to keep. Don't give God your leftovers. And thirdly, there was basically bloodshed. Okay? In other words, it was a ritual cleansing. So guess what? When it comes to us offering sacrifices unto the Lord, it should be ritualistic cleansing. We shouldn't give God what we don't want to keep. And we should give God the very best. That's why God accepted Abel's offering. And that's what it means when we give an offering too. Okay. Let, let, let me, let me continue to press on um, because I, I, I can stay in this all day. When we look at verse six, we see that Peter is picking up and using scripture. Uh, in verse six, he is quoting, I believe it's, it's Isaiah 28, 16. Okay. And he says, behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Now let's talk about what a cornerstone is. Cornerstone is the visible support on which the rest of the building relies for strength and stability. You and I, as believers, trust in Christ, much as a builder, building depends on the cornerstone. That cornerstone is usually, back during that time, the first stone laid in a building to start a new work. It was the place of honor. The cornerstone makes the foundation stable. The cornerstone makes sure that the walls are plumb and square. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And anybody that believes in Jesus Christ as the cornerstone or anyone that believes in Jesus Christ shall never be put to shame. In other words, God is not going to embarrass you or put you out there. All right. Whatever God is working in your life, it is for your good and for his glory. Now, there are some things you may go through that may seem embarrassing. But it ain't because of God, it's because of the culture. Because notice what it says in verse seven. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, he's the stone the builders that has rejected and a stone of stumbling and offense. In other words, Look at him as being the rock and the cornerstone, meaning that he is completely trustworthy. He is precious to us as believers. 
Even though he was rejected, he's the most important part of the church. And because Jesus Christ is supreme, we got to constantly trust him and we got to constantly exalt him. Now, here's what I'm getting ready to bless you with. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He could not have become the chief cornerstone if he had not been rejected. But since he was rejected, he was available to be the chief cornerstone. Let me say it again. Since Jesus was rejected, he is available to be the chief cornerstone. Let me, if I could, make this live for you. What you got to understand is that there are times when God will allow for you and I to be rejected in order to make us available for something greater. I hope I'm helping somebody. Because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes rejected Jesus. They rejected him. He was an offense to them. He was a stumbling block to them. And because he was a stumbling block to them, they disobeyed the word that was given to them. They stumbled over Christ because they rejected him. They refused to believe that he was the son of God. And may I dare say, this may not be popular, but may I dare say that when you refuse to believe in Christ, you are making the biggest mistake in your life. When you deny Christ, you're making the biggest mistake in your life. When you turn your back on Christ, you're rejecting the very best that God has to offer. Let me wrap up. But in verse nine, this is where Peter closes this portion of scripture and lifts us up as far as encouraging us to live a holy life. He says, but you are a what? Chosen generation. That means we're distinct from the rest of the world. We are unified by the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. Just like the nation of Israel was God's chosen people, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a chosen generation. Not by physical birth, but because of your spiritual rebirth into the family of God. Chosen generation. You are a what? Royal priesthood. Now, 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 now notice that's an interesting combination. Royal and priesthood. 
when we think about royalty, we think about kings and queens. We think about majestic. But then when we think about priesthood, it is persons who go to God on behalf of the people. So when we're talking about royal priesthood, we, we're, we're in a sense talking about a majestic capacity to approach the throne of God. Now, 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 now in other words, while we reproach, while we approach the throne of God with a sense of reverence and respect and awe, we don't have to approach the throne of God with our heads down. We don't have to approach the throne of God with a sense of shame. Because, because if we are a royal priesthood, that means that there is something majestic about us and that and that majesty about us uh, basically means that, that, that we don't come to the throne or to the person of God with our heads down or with this sense of shame. It's in other words, it's it's a high honor for 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 all of us. Royal priests. This is where we get the idea, beloved, of the priesthood of all believers. Okay? This is where we get the idea of priesthood of all believers. You are a holy nation. This means that we are set apart. That, that's what the concept holy means. We are set apart. Now, when we talk about holy nation, it is not nation in the sense of nation state like the United States of America. It, it ain't that type of, of, of party. But when we talk about uh, a holy nation, it is the idea of a collective group of people who are set apart by God for a specified purpose. And then watch this. And you're God's special people. That, that, that means that we are a people for God's pleasure. In other words, God ought to take delight in us. Now, here's the shout of where I wanted us to get to that you may proclaim the praises of our God who has called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. In, in other words, you and I, because we have been called out of darkness into the light, because we have made the transition from being blind to now seeing, you and I ought to be conducting our lives in such a way that it demonstrates the character of God and we ought to be telling others of the salvation that God has worked in our life. In other words, it ought to be so good you can't keep it to yourself. It ought to be so magnificent until you burst at the scene wanting to tell somebody else about how good the Lord has been. That, that, that when you recognize what salvation is all about, character of God 
is coming to the forefront in such a powerful way that first of all, folks see something that's different about you. And then you're able to tell them what that difference is. Because at one time we were not a chosen generation or royal priesthood, a holy nation or a special people. One time we were not that, but now we are. One time we didn't have mercy, but now we do have mercy. And what is that mercy? That mercy is God withholding the very judgment that we deserve. Um, that, that, that basically means that God is doing something in us when we didn't have any mercy. But now that we have mercy, now that we have God's compassion, uh, we ought to be able to tell somebody else what the Lord has done. Let, let, let me sum it up by this because you and I basically, here's what it boils down to, we're chosen. Stop basing who you are on your accomplishments. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is far more important than your job title, the money that you have in the bank, your earthly connections, how many degrees you have, what's your level of education. You and I have been chosen by God, beloved, and we are called to represent God to others. The value of who you are is based on your connection of being one of God's daughters and sons, not what you achieve. You have worth because of what God has done in your life, not because of what you have done. Amen. Well, before uh, we close, let me see if there are any uh, questions that anyone may have. Uh, so far, I don't see any questions, Pastor. All right. All right. Well, um, we want to thank you all for, for your time as far as this sharing is concerned. We pray that this has been a blessing to you all. And uh, we want you all to, to be safe. Again, I want to make an appeal that if you feel led to uh, give at this time, of course, you have the wonderful opportunity to uh, partner with God as far as your generosity is concerned. And you can drop off your envelope Monday through Friday from nine to five here at the church, call the church office to uh, verify that we're in the office. Or you can click and uh, you can mail your envelope to uh, St. Paul, uh, 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. Or you can go to uh, our website and give through ACS or Church Life app and contribute there. Or you can give through the app called Givelify. You can download the Givelify app and search for St. Paul Baptist Church, Charlotte, North Carolina, connect it to your favorite credit card and give there. So Thank you all so much. I, I want to encourage you to partner with us. We're trying to make a difference as far as our community is concerned. 
yesterday we served 207 families that needed food and grocery. Uh, we have become a vaccination site where we are partnering with different uh, medical uh, systems throughout our area that's providing the vaccine. Uh, we continue to do worship and we continue to carry on the work of ministry and we continue to do the repairs that are so needed around here at the church. And of course, we know we can't go to uh, Duke Power or uh, the gas company or the water company or the bank and say, ring it up, Jesus paid it all. Your generosity makes the transformative, redemptive work that we do in the community very possible. So I want to thank you for your giving. And uh, of course, we encourage those uh, who would love to uh, give to God through the St. Paul Church. You have that capacity to do that. Well, let's close out in prayer. And of course, we want to lift up all of our brothers and sisters again who are dealing with issues as far as this weather is concerned, dealing with COVID uh, uh, situation as far as sickness is concerned, as well as other ailments. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, let's close out our time together. God, we come and we thank you for the sufficiency of your grace. We pray this word will uh, take root in the hearts and the minds of those who have checked us out as far as this time of study, that they will understand that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people, that you have called us to put aside uh, sins in our lives so that we can have that those sins be replaced by the desire of seeking your word and allowing for your word to become milk to our souls as we grow in the grace and knowledge of who you are. God, we pray right now that um, you will bless our brothers and sisters who are struggling as far as these snowstorms are concerned, particularly in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Arkansas, uh, as well as those who are up north, but particularly those who are in deep south who are not basically uh, made or, or have to deal with this with any sense of regularity. Uh, people have gone without light, heat, and water. We pray for a restoration of their services. For those, oh God, who are still struggling with COVID, we pray for them right now. Uh, for those who have lost loved ones to COVID, we pray you will give them comfort as well as others who are dealing with death. God, of course, uh, we have had um, here in North Carolina, the loss of another giant in the person of Dr. Charles Mosley. And we lift up his daughter right now, oh God, that you will give her the comfort as she prepares to bury her father. And God, as we get ready to close out this moment of prayer, we pray you will continue to keep us in your sovereign care. We thank you for God, for those who are giving to support your work here at St. Paul. Now, God, uh, keep us in your care. Continue to fortify us and remind us of who we are in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, God bless you. Uh, God keep you. And look forward to seeing you uh, hopefully and prayerfully on Sunday morning as far as our worship experience is concerned.